If you got your Bibles, we are continuing on in our study of the book of Philippians. We're in Philippians chapter 4. We've entitled the study of this book, Gospel Impact. And I couldn't help but think as I was studying this week of why we do expository Bible preaching, why we preach through a book and few verses at a time. Because God's word is powerful. It's alive. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it speaks to us every day, no matter where we are. And it has for 2,000 years. And the great thing about God's word is you read and study his passage and it speaks to our hearts today with what we're going through. But then tomorrow when we're going through something else, uh, man, it really speaks to that too. And, and this is one of those great passages. This, this is a passage that speaks to us wherever we're at. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Verse 5, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Verse 6 and 7, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which passes all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, folk, that will preach every day. But man, it really preaches to my soul today with what we're going through, the difficulties that we're facing in our own lives right now because of the pandemic, the economic slowdown. What a great word for us to be able to look at. And so today, I'm going to talk about three things that Paul reminds us of here in this passage. Three key words, joy, gentleness, and peace. The first thing he talks about is joy. And of course, if you've been with us in the study of this book, you know this is one of the themes that you find in the book of Philippians. We looked at it back in chapter 3, uh, verse 1, where he, he says there, he says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. And what we talked about then and what I want to remind you of is that when we talk about rejoicing, we're talking about joy, but at a soul level, N not just in the circumstances, not just happiness, but at a soul level. And at that point, what joy is, is it's tied to this idea of contentment, that we are at peace with what's going on, whether it's, it's good or bad, whether it's easy or difficult. And then thankfulness of knowing that we are at where God wants us to be. This idea that he is in control and that we can trust him. And of course, the reason that you and I can rejoice is when we're reminded that our rejoicing, our, our joy at the soul level is not found in the circumstances, but it's found in Jesus it's anchored in him. And this is what he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Why? Because we know that he loves us. We know that he has forgiven us. We know that he is with us in, in all that we are touching. Uh, you, you think of the context out of which all of this is written. You know, Paul is in Rome he is under house arrest. He can't do the missionary work that he typically does. He's writing to the Philippians. Uh, they're facing persecution because of their faith. Uh, he's just told them this story 
uh, and remind, to these two ladies who are not getting along, and he's, he's urging them. And you would imagine in, in light of all this, wouldn't Paul be maybe discouraged? Wouldn't he maybe be a little downcast? I happened to think about it last week as I was listening to Michael talk about the reconciliation piece. That, you know, what would I felt like as a pastor? I probably would have felt like a failure as a shepherd to know that this problem, this disharmony amongst these women it has gotten to the point of where Paul now feels like he's got to address it in his book. <laughs> and yet, to all of that, what Paul reminds them is, no, Rejoice in the Lord always, always. Why? Because of what we have in him, that he is at work in our life through all the circumstances, that he is the one who is using the circumstances, the difficulties, the hardship to, to make us more like Christ. Our joy is anchored in Jesus. And therefore, when the circumstances of our life change, our rejoicing doesn't. Because we know that he is with us, that he is speaking in, in our lives, that he's using these circumstances to make us more like Christ. Uh, again, you think back to Paul who talks about he's there in prison, he can't go preach the gospel, and there are those outside who are, but some are doing it for the wrong motives. Remember what Paul says? Paul says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. E even though it's not being done for the right motives, and that, that grieves his heart, he knows that God is still working with the gospel as it goes forward. Um, he's waiting to, to go on trial. He's not sure how it's going to turn out, but it may even lead to his death. And what does he say? He says, but even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice. I rejoice. Why? Because I know that God is at work. He's in control. I can trust him. And so his word to us today is so good. We are to rejoice always. In fact, did you, did you notice there? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Whether pandemic, no pandemic. Job, no job. Circumstances of life don't matter. Why? Because we, we know that Jesus is in control. We know that he loves us. We know that he cares about us. And we rest in that. And that is where our joy is found. So let me ask you today. In your circumstances that you find yourself in, are you rejoicing in the Lord? Are you resting in the fact that he loves you, he knows right where you are? And even though circumstances of life may, may not be going exactly like you would want, but that you know that God's at work in you and through you, and in that you rejoice. The second word that he uses here is gentleness, and it's found in verse 5. He says, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. Gentle. Now, this is one of those words that is just so powerful. Uh, in the Greek, it has the idea of being kind, being tolerant, full of grace. It's, it's almost like the, the little diamond that 
as you study it and you turn it, every time you turn it and catches light a little differently, you see just another beautiful nuance. And so in personal relationships, when we talk about gentleness, we talk about being kind, being accepting, loving. When it was used in the context of a legal proceeding, the idea was leniency, grace, showing compassion, uh, and you think, again, the context here, he's just talked about these two women who are not getting along. There's disharmony. And typically, when you have disharmony, what you find is that somebody has gotten hard. Someone's not being gentle. They've, they've drawn a line in the sand. Maybe that shouldn't be there. They've put their foot down. They, they've, they've kind of put their claws in and that's where they're going to be and that's what causes disharmony and what he reminds us is no we are we are people of grace we are people that god has forgiven us we are people that god has been tolerant with us and that's what we need to be as we deal with with one another we need to be tolerant you remember what he said back in chapter two he said this, do nothing from selfishness and empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each one regard one another as more important than himself. You talk about gentleness. That's what it means. That I put you in your cares and concerns, so I'm, I'm loving you, I'm towering of you, I'm forgiving of you. In fact, he then goes on just two verses later and says, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ. Jesus in his gentleness. And, and Peter points it out in 1 Peter chapter 2 when he says, who, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. And while suffering, he uttered no threats, but he kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. His gentleness was rooted in his relationship with God. Our gentleness is rooted in the fact that we have a relationship with the king who has forgiven us, who loves us, who accepts us, uh, even in those moments when he may not agree with us. He's gentle. That's why Paul in Ephesians 4 put it like this. He says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. And you talk about a, a good word for today. Folk, we need to be re reminded that, that our gentleness needs to be at the heart of, of who we are. You know, we, in the middle of this pandemic, there, there's panic on parts there's fear on other parts there's uh, and what i see is there's a, there's these caverns that are growing uh, people who are looking at the different perspectives and, and they're getting so entrenched there's a there's an unkindness there's a uh, there's divisions that are coming in our country and on, on the one hand there are those who, who look at the pandemic and they see the lives lost. Perhaps they've even known somebody and they've lost someone and, and their whole sense is, is that we need to stay in and we need to stay quarantined. Forget the economy. It's just we, we need to, to, you know, that nobody else gets sick and dies of this. And then on the other side are, are those that are looking at the economic fallout 
and they're, they're looking at uh, the people that have lost their jobs, that for everyone who's died, there's been over, you know, hundreds who have lost their jobs. And, and, you know, the one side says, well, you know, if we go back to work, people will die. And the other people say, well, if we, if we don't go back to work, people will die. And, and the reality is they both have their points. They, they both have their perspectives. And so number one, I would remind you, this is one of the reasons we truly need to be praying earnestly for our president, the leaders of our country, our governor, uh, here, D Governor Ducey here in Arizona. They've got tough decisions to make uh, in doing this. We need to pray for them. But here's the thing, folk. As believers, you and I are to be known as those who are gentle. Now, if you and I got together with some others who are watching this, and we sat down and even had this discussion, we might find that we don't even agree. You know, we may see it differently. And, and you may be over here, and somebody else is over here, and somebody else is over here, and I'm not going to tell you where I'm at. Uh, but most likely, we would have different perspectives on this. Folks, what Paul reminds us of is that our gentleness, our love, our tolerance, our kindness, our forgiveness needs to be known to all men. And this week, I, I saw a post from a friend of mine uh, who is a very godly person involved, man, their whole life in serving the Lord. And as I began to read their posts, I sensed the uh, frustration, uh, maybe even a little bit of the despair. And I went, oh no, please don't go. And they did. They, they jumped into this into this debate and they went to a side and uh, really strong and my, my heart fell within me as I read it um, because sure enough as I got down to the comments uh, people that see it differently came and and what ends up happening is you know when we get so hard and we begin to to become unkind we begin to ascribe motives and things to other people that most likely aren't there and uh, it was interesting uh, they ended up a day later kind of doing a, an apology but i couldn't help but feel that you know the problem is the damage is done you know we are here as first and foremost the ambassadors of jesus christ and we are told, let your, your gentleness be known to, to all men. Folk, we got to be so careful because our gentleness is part of the testimony of what Jesus has done in our life. That, that we are compassionate, that we are tolerant, that we, we have an opinion. I have an opinion. But what's important is, is that we, we love one another well. And when I think about what he says here, that uh, he let, let your gentle spirit be known to all men, he doesn't mean just to believers, though we are to be gentle to, to believers. And our gentleness isn't just to be known to unbelievers, though we certainly ought to be gentle to unbelievers. And our gentleness isn't just to be known by our family, though we really ought to be gentle to our family, especially in this time where we're, many of us are kind of cooped up together. But our gentleness is to be known to all. And because that is what points people 
the love, the grace, the forgiveness that we have experienced is what allows us to live Jesus in front of them for the purpose of ultimately sharing with them the wonderful message. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. And then he adds this interesting phrase, for the Lord is near. For the Lord is near. And and it's a great reminder. The the question becomes, what does he mean by the Lord is near? Does he mean on the one hand, because you have Jesus living in you and he's empowering you by his spirit to, to live like him. He's at work in your life. He's watching you as you live on mission and as an ambassador for Christ. Is that what he means? Or does he mean by the Lord is near that, you know, we are here as ambassadors. Don't get so caught up and, and get into these different points here because we're going home soon. You know, Jesus is coming back. Stay on mission. So what does he mean? Does he mean the Lord is near to us today or the Lord is near in his return? And I would say the answer is probably yes. He probably means both. Now in the context, I was interested, I was reading uh, commentators and they were split about 60-40 on this. I would say probably by the context, because you just go back to a few verses before the end of chapter three and he says, you know, our citizenship is in heaven from whence also we eagerly wait for the return of our Lord Jesus. He's probably talking about that, but both are true. We are here on mission. God is with us, his Holy Spirit in us to empower hours to live on mission to be his ambassadors and oh by the way he's coming back soon don't don't get so caught up into today and tomorrow here but live for that day when we will stand before the lord let your gentleness be known to all men the third thing that he talks about here is this idea of peace peace he says in verse seven or excuse me verse six Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, the gospel impacting our heart should cause us to live in peace, not anxiety. Well, why? Well, because we know we're loved. We know that God knows right where we are. We know that he cares about us. We, we know that one of these days he's gonna walk us into his presence. We know that whatever we deal with today, that he is at work to use that in our life to make us more like Christ. That's what the gospel shares with us. And so his heart here is, Don't be anxious. In fact, what he says is be anxious for nothing. Can you repeat that out loud with me right where you are? Be anxious for nothing. Zip, zero, nada. There ought to be nothing that creates anxiety in our heart. No pandemic or virus or financial situation or job or no job. Now you say, well, Wait a minute, Steve, aren't those concerns? Yeah, yeah, those are concerns. Those are concerns that we have. His whole point is, but don't let that make you anxious. Don't let that bring anxiety into your life. And how you deal with it is the important issue. And his point here is, but in everything, in everything, 
We are to deal with life's concerns by praying. In everything, he says, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In everything, we are to take them to the Lord. We are to lay them at his feet. He uses these three words here, prayer, supplication, request. I don't think he's trying to give us a doctrinal dissertation on prayer. His whole point is we, whether things are big or whether they're small, whether they're just very personal, to it doesn't matter. In everything, come and lay your cares at the feet of Jesus. Peter put it like this. He says, casting all your anxiety on him, for he cares for you. You know, as a, as a child of God, you and I are not to live with anxiety. We're not to live with fear. We're not to live with this sense of, of foreboding. Why? Because those concerns come to our life and we now can't bring them to the Lord Jesus and we lay them at his feet and we trust him. And no, notice what he adds here. He, he says, with thanksgiving. So when we take the thanksgiving piece and we remind ourselves of what God has already done, when we look at his faithfulness, then that reminds us that God saw us through that past time. He is going to see us through this time. And it is that which is what brings peace. The God's got this. He's in control. He, he's the one who, who, who knows right where we are, knows what he's doing in our life, knows what it is that, that he's trying to accomplish, knows how he's setting us up to, to live Jesus in front of others. I was thinking of, uh, of that verse that Jesus himself shared in Matthew chapter 6. He says, look at the birds. Look at the birds in the air. They do not sow, they don't reap, they don't gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? I, uh, <laughs> we've been spending a lot of time at home, right? I typically am working out of my office. Tammy likes to work out on the back porch, so I'll go out to see how she's doing, touch base every once in a while. We've been eating more outside. It's just been so beautiful, and Never heard the birds uh, quite like in the last couple of weeks. And the funny thing is they're just singing their songs. They're having the best time. It's almost like they don't know there's a pandemic. It's almost like they don't know that there's a uh, economic slowdown. They don't seem to be concerned. Why? They know God will take care of them. That's Jesus' whole point. Aren't you way more valuable to him than the birds? We don't need to be concerned. We don't need to live with anxiety. What we do is we just simply bring our request and we lay them at his feet. And he is the one that we know will take care of us and that he will guide us. And it is that peace that passes comprehension. And for those of you who have walked with the Lord for some time, I, I know you, you know exactly what he's talking about there. It's a, it's a piece that really doesn't make sense. And to somebody looking from the outside, they, they wouldn't understand because they see all the circumstances. But, but you, you, you've laid it at God's feet. You know he's going to see you through this. And I've shared the story many times of you know, 30 years ago uh, when um, 
my wife had had a massive stroke and she was in the intensive care unit and walking the halls of that hospital and realizing that um, she wasn't going to get better uh, and that this was her time for God to walk her home. And in talking to the Lord there and his reminder of Steve, I love her more than you do. And his reminder that I'm going to walk her all the way home. You can only take her so far, but I've got her. And that peace that truly surpassed knowledge, surpassed comprehension. It's hard for me to explain. I didn't know what was going to happen with the rest of my life, but I knew that God knew and that he was in control. That's the peace that passes understanding. So as you and I have been touched by the gospel and we have come to faith in Christ, we have been touched by his grace. There are three things that ought to be a part of our life no matter what we go through. One is joy. That we rejoice. Why? Because we're not joying in the circumstances. Our joy is in Jesus. And we know that he is at work. Secondly, gentleness that we show compassion, that we show grace, that we show tolerance, that we show forgiveness, that we show love, even to those that we don't agree with. And thirdly, what he talks about is peace. Not anxiety, not worry, not our soul all stirred up with, man, how am I going to fix this? How are we going to get out of this? But no, Casting all our cares upon him, we know peace. Bringing those concerns, bringing those things that have caused us worry and anxiety and, and, and laying them before him and knowing it as a God who loves us, a God who takes care of the birds and that we're way more important to him than the birds, that he's going to take care of us. That ought to be the thing that marks our life, that is shown to the world around us that we have been impacted by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you're here listening to this today and you're struggling with this, can I just remind you that the only places that this is found is in Jesus. It's not found in a church. It's not found in a certain creed or or, or, uh, ritual that we go through. This is that personal relationship with Jesus that starts with coming and understanding that he died for you. That because of your sin, you're separated from God. There's nothing you can do to fix that. That's why Jesus came. And so he came and he loved you so much that he died on the cross for you. And you now put your faith and trust in him to be your savior. You invite him into your life to forgive you and that's where it all begins and once you know his grace once you know his forgiveness and you begin this journey then we can know that life that leads to joy even in the midst of difficult circumstances why because we know he's going to take care of us we know he's at work we know he's accomplishing things in our life we know that he's even using this to help us to be a witness to him to others We can know his gentleness because we have touched it. We can be kind because he has been kind to us. We can forgive because he has forgiven us. And we can know his peace because we know that he holds us in the palm of his hand.
and his promises he'll never leave us, he'll never forsake us, and that he will bring us safely home.